So in the 1980s, Ken Stabler was a quarterback for the Oakland uh, Raiders, and he had a sports, on one occasion, he had a Sports Illustrated reporter interviewing him. And in the process of the interview, uh, he was, this reporter recited a quote that he had heard from Jack London, which was basically this. He said, I'd rather be ashes than dust. I'd rather have my spark burn out in the brilliant blaze than be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow, than a sleepy and perseverant planet. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. So then the reporter asked Stabler what that quote meant to him. (laughs) Well, Stabler was no philosopher or theologian. After all, he was a quarterback. And he thought about it for a moment, and then he said to them, Throw deep. (laughs) Throw deep. Every good quarterback realizes that if you're going to win football games, if you're going to be a great football team, there are times you have to throw deep. There are times you have to take a risk or you will never win. You'll never succeed. At times, guys, you have to be willing to take a flyer. Well, guys, I think the same thing is true in our own spiritual life. There are times you've just got to throw deep. There are times, in other words, there are times that you have to be bold in your faith. There are times that you absolutely just have to trust God, even when it doesn't make complete sense. And that's hard for us, because we want to reason everything out. We want to figure everything out before we take a step, before we make a move. And sometimes we're not able to do that. Sometimes we just have to trust God. Hudson Taylor once said, unless there is an element of risk, there is no need for faith. Now let that soak in. Unless there is an element of risk, there is no need for faith. And the Scripture says without faith, it's absolutely impossible to please God. Friends, listen, I believe that bold faith is the language of the Holy Spirit. I really do. And I think it blesses the heart of our God. I think it also captures the attention of the unchurched in our community. I think they are literally stunned. Listen, I think they're literally stunned to see Christians so willing to make personal sacrifices for the needs of others. I think they are amazed to see that we're not afraid to tackle poverty or surprised that we refuse to ignore injustice and slavery around the world. I think they're dumbfounded to see how committed we are to stand up for the unborn or to fight for marriages and to see that we're not afraid to proclaim the love of Jesus Christ to the lost and hurting in our community. Listen to me, church. I believe that kind of bold faith gets the attention and the respect from an unchurched community. And it certainly, it certainly blesses the heart of our God. I mean, friends, when you think about where the world is today, I personally believe, I was was talking about this actually with Andy before the service started. I think time is short. Now I know that there are some of you maybe that think I'm radical and some of you think, you know, oh my guy Steve, they've been saying that all of our life and I get that. But I have a strong conviction, and maybe it's just my conviction, and it's fine what you want to believe, but I believe that we're in the last of the last days. I was uh, at a Hope celebration in Fort Lauderdale about three weeks ago, and while there, uh, one of the speakers was Bobby Grunewald, and Bobby is the one that on your phones, you have the YouVersion Bible app. Bobby's the one that invented that. He's now there's over a million people that have downloaded that. He's the one that downloaded, or he's the one that invented the U version. 
And he's also one of the executive pastors of Life Church. Life Church is, is the biggest uh, church in America, the largest congregation in America. They have campuses all over the country. And so he was talking, it was in one of the breakouts, and he was talking about how uh, Rob Hoskins, who has uh, One Hope, said, tell him what you were telling me earlier. And so he was talking about, you might have seen in the news just a couple of weeks ago, that Elon Musk sent another one of his spaceships up. I saw it, it was just about three, four weeks ago. Elon Musk sent another one of his spaceships, spaceships up in space. On there, he was saying there are 1,500 satellites. And Bobby was describing this as he said, these satellites are about the size of a pizza box. And so they took 1,500 more up into space. He said the ultimate goal is to take 30,000 of these satellites up into space. And when they are finished, there will be no place on planet Earth that you cannot get internet service. There will be no place. No, it can be the most remote place in the world and you can take out your smartphone and you can get internet service. Now, Bobby was saying, I don't know if you really understand what that means. And he said, I know what I'm talking about because they actually sent one of the satellite dishes to his home as one of the people they wanted to test it out and to experiment with it. So he said, everything I'm telling you is factual. And he said, I don't know if you understand what that means, that for the first time ever in history, we can get the gospel to every spot on planet Earth. Now Jesus said, and the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, they said, well, you know, how will we know? How will we know when time is short? How will we know when you're going to return? And in Matthew 24, 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And he, and he talks about that. When, when the whole world knows, then you know. Basically, if you read Matthew 24, you see that there's basically two warnings that Jesus gives the disciples and us. And the warnings are this. First of all, don't fret as to when it's going to happen. In other words, basically what he's saying is don't be all uptight about it. Don't be worried about it. Like, when is Christ going to return? And, and, you know, is it going to be tomorrow? And be all upset. He said, don't fret about Christ's return. And he said, then secondly, strive to put God first. Strive to put Jesus Christ first in your life, which is exactly what we're talking about. So he said, even though we don't know the date nor the hour, we don't know the month or the day, we know the seasons. You know, it's like I've shared this with you before. It's like if I were on a deserted island and I get rescued and I come back and I don't even know what day it is, I don't have any idea even what month it is, and they're driving down the street and I look out the car window and I see Christmas lights, I may not know the exact date, but I know it's Christmas season. And I'm just saying, guys, I believe um, that we're, the Lord's coming soon. I believe we're in rapture season. And I believe when I heard that, I got those funny doodads going up and down your back at the fact that for the first time in all history, you can be anywhere on planet Earth and get an internet, which means we can take the gospel to anyone on planet Earth. Guys, a lot of people are far from God. And I feel an urgency like I've never felt before to get the gospel out to a lost and hurting world. 
So if there was ever a time for us as a church to be bold and to throw deep, I think it's now. I know that some Christians might argue, you know, well, why would we make those kinds of sacrifices, Steve? I mean, come on. I mean, there's a lot of other things in life. There's the things that we struggle with and a lot of other responsibilities we have. Why would we make those kinds of sacrifices? Why would we take those kinds of risks? Because Jesus is first in our lives. Because Jesus is preeminent in our lives. He is before all things. Listen to me, church. If we really want to obey the Great Commission, if we really want to reach our world for Christ, then I think it's time the church throw deep. If you are our guest today, we are in a five-week series called First, Before All Things. And in this series, we've been looking at the book of Colossians, which is absolutely one of my favorite books in the New Testament, Philippians and Colossians, two favorite letters that Paul wrote, especially the first chapter of the book of Colossians. And um, we're using this study on Colossians as we're doing a two-year generosity initiative called First Before All Things. And I've shared some stories with you, and today I want you to hear another story from somebody at Northview Church that's engaging with God on this journey. Watch your screen. I'm Paul Estridge. I'm married to Judy Estridge. We have three children, three grandchildren. We've been going to Northview ever since the Westfield campus started. I did not grow up in a church. I found Christ when I was 27 and my wife about the same age. I've been a home builder my entire life, building homes and neighborhoods. In 2009, things took a very serious turn. I had to close our company, a company that uh, was started by my father in 1967. I had to file for personal bankruptcy. Unfortunately, I became a heavy drinker through that entire experience and gained a lot of weight and was dealing with a lot of stress. And then in 2018, I had a four-way bypass, only to find out a few months later that I had an incurable disease and that the only way I was going to survive that was to have a lung transplant, which I did have. I was in the hospital for two and a half months dealing with, am I going to make it? Am I going to see my wife and children again? Because through that entire time, I got to see no one. I was alone. Through the entire experience, uh, I've never felt that God had forsaken us. And I always felt his presence even closer during the hardest of times. As difficult as the experience was in the hospital, my recovery has been miraculous. I'm 100% a year out. There's nothing been more important to me uh, from the experience I've had in the hospital but to find ways every day to give more. We have made it just an absolute part of our lives to tithe. And we have found a way to do it through the best of times and through the worst of times. We have found ways to give and we'll continue to do that for the rest of our lives. I'm very excited about the new campaign first because it ties in for me 
right into where I am at this stage in my life. I have not always held Christ as first in my life. Uh, I was consumed with myself and my pride and how I looked. I used to want to live large, but I want to live smaller now. The last 12 years have been uh, extremely humbling and stripped me of all those kinds of worldly emotions. I think it's easy for us, particularly in this part of the country, in our communities, to want to nestle in and get comfortable. And I think that this is the season right now to do some extreme things, you know, really stretch ourselves uh, beyond what we've ever done before. Because when we're at that point, when life is ending, we're going to want to know that we held Christ first in our lives and we did everything we possibly could to giving to others. I love hearing your stories. You know, every name has a story and every story matters to God. I love it when I hear people talk about how they've been challenged by God to put him first in their life, which is what the book of Colossians is really all about. In fact, I've already said that, that six of the most powerful verses in the New Testament, I believe, are found right here in this first chapter. And I know I've read those to you before, but I'm gonna read them to you every week because I want those to soak in. I want you to remember where you find these in the scripture. In Colossians chapter one, verse 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, not first in order, but first in priority. He said, he is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Not only is it the theme of Colossians, but church, please hear me. I think it should be the theme of your life. I think it should be the theme of my life as well. Well, today we're still in the book of Colossians and we're ready to look at the third chapter. And I want us to begin with chapter three of Colossians, verse 12. Let's look at it. So as those who have been chosen of God, that's you and me, those that have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so must you do also. In addition to all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So Paul talks about, did you hear, see there where he says to put on? He keeps referring to that. What does he mean? In fact, in some of his other letters that he wrote, he uses the same phrase, to put on. He says, put on these characteristics of Christ. In other words, it's the idea or it's the picture of putting something on like you'd put on a jacket or you'd put on a coat and wrap it around you. In other words, we need to dress like Jesus. 
We need to look like Jesus. We need to emulate Jesus. That's the point. He wants us to resemble him in everything that we do. So he says, you know, take off the old things. Take off the old person and put on these characteristics, which are the characteristics of Christ. The first thing he talks about is he talks about putting on compassion. Most people think of themselves as a compassionate person. Now, no hands lifted, but if I were to ask, how many of you consider yourself to be compassionate? I'm sure that the majority, if not everyone in the room, would raise their hand. We all think of ourselves as a compassionate person because we feel bad, you know, for whatever reason, but maybe it's because we feel bad when we see somebody that's hurting. We feel bad, we hurt for someone that's going through a difficult time. But friends, listen to me, true compassion is more than a feeling. True compassion elicits a response. In other words, genuine compassion doesn't just break your heart, it moves your muscles. Feelings of compassion are God calling us to do something. It's God calling us to action. So the way to show compassion is not by how you feel, but it's by what you do. So as I stand up here and I share all of these critical needs from around the world, like we stood up here before, I've stood up here before and I've talked about, a, a, we reach out to the boys and girls in Ghana that are caught in slavery in the fishing industry. Boys and girls as young as four, five, six, seven, eight years old caught in slavery, over 30,000 people. And you know what, we hear that story and our heart just goes out. Our heart just breaks as we think about that. It creates a feeling of compassion we think in us. But again, true compassion takes the necessary steps to do something about it. So it's not just feeling bad because we hear these stories, but it's saying, okay, I wanna make a difference. Compassion is what can I do to make a change? You know, you're gonna find the same thing is true for each one of the characteristics. I'm just mentioning the first one, compassion, but it's true for each one of the characteristics that is listed here. It's true for kindness, it's true for humility, it's true for gentleness, and it's true for patience. Those are, those are verbs, those are action. It requires us doing something. And it's important to see that Jesus demonstrated, he didn't just feel, he demonstrated all of these characteristics. And when we put them on, we are demonstrating them as well. But the key to this, let's read on, is in verse 16, that says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I mean, that's, to dwell is to be at home. You know what, it's to be at home in something. So he's saying, let the word of Christ richly be at home within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Friends, in every interaction, not just at church or on a weekend, but in every situation or circumstance that you find yourselves in, we should be able to say that we're doing it to please an audience of one. That we're doing it not, not to please man, but we're doing it to please God. Listen, have you noticed that we often, think about this for a minute, have you noticed that we often end all of our prayers by saying what? We say, in Jesus' name, amen. That's the way we typically end our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. And yet, honestly, I don't think that most Christians even understand why we say that. I think most Christians think 
Most Christians would say, well, it's a way to sign off. You know, it's a way to say, 10-4, good buddy. I mean, it's a way to say, God, I'm done, over and out, or goodbye. But guys, that's not the point of why we say it. You are making a statement. When you say that, you are making a statement, listen to me, that you want to align or focus your prayer on God's will for your life. That you're wanting to align or focus your prayer for his glory and in his power. I don't have time to get into it, but that's really what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples in the Lord's Prayer. So for instance, as you start your day, you should do it in Jesus' name. In other words, God, I want your will accomplished in my life today. Be done thy will. Remember, Jesus talked about that in the Lord's Prayer. Be done thy will. We're making a declaration that that's what we want to take place. When someone cuts you off in traffic, instead of giving him the the middle finger salute, it should be in Jesus' name. Or in other words, yes, this does make me mad. But I want to honor God by how I handle this situation right now. I want to honor God by the way that I respond to people right now. You take your kids out for a play date in Jesus' name. In other words, I want to honor God by how I love my kids. So you see, it's the idea that in everything I do or in everything I say, I just want to bring God honor. Now guys, I'm not suggesting that you actually need to say that. I'm gonna take my kids out to play in Jesus' name. And you don't have to repeat that every time. It's more of an attitude. That would just be weird to repeat that every time, but it's more an attitude of the heart. I'm suggesting that you think about every interaction that you do in your life. You think about everything that you do, every interaction as done in the name of Jesus. That your goal is to always honor him in everything you do. Does that make sense? That in every word you speak, And in every move you make, you do it in a way that honors your God. Well, Paul, he he then goes on and gives them several examples of when you could do that. For instance, he goes on verse 18 and says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not antagonize your children so that they will not become discouraged. Slaves, obey those, who, obey those who are your human masters in everything, not with eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So basically he is saying, this is the way to honor God in all of your encounters. Did you notice in verse 22, it talked about, he, he, he said slaves. And you say, Steve, so how can we read that in verse 22, and how in the world can that even relate to us today? I mean, he's talking about, put it in perspective of where we are today, he's basically talking about your job or your employment. So in other words, if you're being honest, maybe in your case, your boss is a jerk. And maybe he or she is, is not paying you what you deserve to be paid. And yes, you should probably address those things with him or her, but at the same time, you just need to remember that you are representing Jesus Christ in how you handle your job. You are representing Christ in your place of employment. Listen guys, your boss might not deserve your best, but that's not the reason you give your best. 
You give your best for an audience of one. Jesus does deserve your best. And when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out how to respond uh, to my husband or to my wife, who has maybe been unfairly impatient with me today, I need to respond in a way that's going to honor Christ, that's going to honor Jesus. I might, not, I might not always feel like he or she deserves a tender response, but the truth is Jesus does. That's always what it comes back to, and I'm telling you it will help you in every aspect of your life if you'll just remember that. If you'll just say, okay, it's not about my boss, it's not about my spouse, it's not about this person, not about my kids, it's about how am I honoring Christ in all that I do? In verse 20, he talks about children and he tells them to obey their parents because this pleases the Lord. Listen, teens, if you want to honor God, then obeying and respecting your parents is in fact obeying and respecting Christ. It really is. Some of you say, well, they don't, they don't, my parents don't deserve honor. You don't know what my parents are like. It may not be, but when you do so, you're honoring and respecting Christ. But let me add this caveat, if I could. If your parents are being physically or sexually abusive to you, you need to let someone know. Seriously, it's, it's not honoring God to allow your parents, or anyone for that matter, to abuse you in any way. He then brings this section to a powerful close in verse 23. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord and not for people. There it is. Do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for people, knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. <clears throat> he says, guys, whatever you do, listen, whatever you do, give it your very best as if you're doing it for him, as if you're doing it for Jesus. Again, as if you're doing it for an audience of one. Friends, do you understand there is not one single area of your life that God doesn't declare mine? Think about that for a minute. There is not one single area of your life that God doesn't declare mine. It all belongs to Him. We often try to divide our life into sections, kind of like a, like a picture of a piece of pie, and we divide it in maybe to eight sections. This area is God's section. This area is my section. No. When you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, you said what? You said, I surrender all. And that's why Paul says in Colossians, he is before all things in your life. Not first in list of order, or not even, not even a list of priorities, where you say, well, I put him at the top of my list of priorities. You see, what you have to understand is that he's the paper your priorities are written on. I mean, I'm just trying to get you to see he's a, he is what it's all about. And guys, when that soaks in, when as a Christian, that really clicks with you and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I get it. I have not made him first. When you begin to understand that, it will be a spiritual aha moment. It will be a moment where you're like, that changes everything. Because we want to compartmentalize our life which is what the Christians at Colossae were doing. That's why Paul writes this letter to these young Christians in Colossians. That's what they were doing. You know what, we, ha we, have our, we have our church life on the weekends, and then there is our family life over here, and there is our work life, and then we have our hobbies, and we often act different depending on what compartment we find ourselves in at the time. But Paul's trying to get us to see that Christ is preeminent in every area of our lives. Friends, 
When you start compartmentalizing, listen to me, when you start to compartmentalizing the areas of your life, there is no way you will ever put Christ first. When you start breaking it down on this, this has nothing to do with Jesus, this is, the, this is my personal issue over here. When you start to do that, you will never make, you will never put him first. You will never declare him first. In fact, you'll start to think of your, of your spiritual compartment as an obligation. You'll start to think of it as a, just as an obligation, a responsibility to make God happy. In fact, you'll start to ask questions like, how often do I have to attend church and keep God happy? You know, how close can I get to the edge of sin and still keep God happy? Or how much money do I need to give to God and keep him off my back? We start to think of it almost like some kind of a, a God tax. You have to pay him to keep him happy. And Paul says, no, 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 absolutely not. That's not how this works. Christ owns it all. In chapter one, all things have been created. We just read it. All things have been created through him and for him. And yet we have a hard time because we don't want to let go of certain areas of our life. For some of you, maybe it's a relationship that you're struggling with. For others of you, it might be a job or a profession. For some of you, maybe it's a hobby or a recreation. For others of you, it's a, it's a habit in your life or an addiction in your life. But I will tell you, for many Christians, listen, it's their, material, it's their material possessions or their financial resources. It's like we're ready to trust God in every other area of our life except for our money. <clears throat> I've mentioned this on a couple of occasions in the last couple of weeks. Two-thirds of all the parables that Jesus told, two-thirds of all the parables Jesus told have to do with our material possessions. There's over 2,000 scripture passages in the New Testament that deal with our financial resources. Jesus actually talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. Why? Why was this such an important topic to him? Because he knew this would be a big thing in our life. This would be that one thing that would keep us from declaring Christ first. This would be an area that we would have a hard time letting go of. It would be an issue that would keep countless Christians from total surrender. We're quick to say, again, if I were to survey this crowd, we're quick to say that Jesus is first in our life. And yet we often have all these other things that we put at the top of our page. These other things that we, we demonstrate, we may say one thing, but we live our life differently. We put our mortgage or our jobs or our kids at the top of the page. Listen, guys, for us to totally surrender to God, we've got to be willing to make sacrifices. And some of you, I know at this point, maybe some of you are saying, Steve, I'm not sure I really even understand what you mean by a sacrifice. A sacrifice is when you're willing to let go of something you love for something you love even more. A sacrifice is when you have the courage to put it all on the table and say, God, it all belongs to you anyway. I just want to be found obedient. I just want to do whatever it is you want me to do. You know, one of, my, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is when King David comes to Arana. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but King David comes to Arana, and he says to him, I want to buy this field, this plot of land, this field from you, so that I can build an altar to the Lord. 
Well, Arana says, what are you talking about? You're the king. I'm not going to let you buy it from me. I'm just going to give it to you. You're the king. But listen to what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 24. But the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not, listen, this is powerful. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David said, I'll not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. I want it to be a sacrifice. I want it to cost me something. Listen, God doesn't measure generosity by the size of our gift. He measures generosity by the size of the sacrifice, by what's really going on in our heart. For instance, a large sacrificial gift for one person might not be the same for someone else. Listen, guys, my prayer for each and every one of you is that you will decide to give God your first and to give God your best, and that it will represent, listen, it will represent a sacrificial gift to the Lord. Now again, guys, can I just remind you that we have two goals in this generosity initiative, and our primary goal, bar none, our primary goal is 100% engagement. We want to engage 100% of us that call North York Church home to grow spiritually in our generosity, to trust God with every area of our lives. In other words, to declare God first and to give him our best. That's why I've been, every week, I've been quoting Matthew 6, when Jesus said, seek ye first, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. Jesus said, if you'll just seek me first, if I become preeminent in your life, everything else will take care of itself. The kind of generosity that the scripture talks about is intended to be a transformational act. In other words, it's meant to be something that changes our heart and it changes our attitude. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Then our secondary goal is mission advancement. So again, our first goal is 100% participation because I know if I can get all of you refocused on putting Christ first, the second goal will take care of itself. So our secondary goal is mission advancement. I've, I've mentioned these to you early on week one. We have some amazing kingdom building initiatives that I think are incredibly bold. For instance, for the next two years on this secondary goal, the next two years is we wanna raise $77 million over a two-year period. Now, I know that's a big goal, but we serve a big God, and guys, we're a big church. I'm just saying as a church, it's time for us to throw deep to demonstrate bold faith for a vision that God has given us. Again, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible, not hard, it's impossible to please God. And if you think about it, faith and generosity are two sides of the same coin. It's only when you learn to trust God with your resources that you begin to understand his preeminence. So each of you should have this card I don't know whether you have it with you or not, but each of you, we gave you this card uh, several weeks ago, this commitment card, and the whole point of this card, I said, is it's symbolic. It's a symbol of your sacrifice. And so we wanted you to have it early, not so that you fill it out early, but so that it became a, sim- it, it became a symbol of a declaration that you were getting, preparing your heart to make. And so you used it as kind of a prayer tool. Again, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, let me ask the question. Are you simply 
tipping your hat to God with the way you live? Attempting to, to pay your God tax so that you can fulfill your obligation and keep him happy? Or do you truly acknowledge that everything you have belongs to him? And friends, have you sincerely asked him, what is it that you want me to do? I mean, think about it, guys. Have you ever asked God, why have you blessed me with all this? I mean, we live in the, the USA. We, we, we live in the wealthiest nation in the world. And we're all, compared to the rest of the world, we've all been greatly blessed. And I think sometimes that's an honest question that we really need to ask God. Why have you blessed me with all that you've blessed me with, with all that you've trusted me with? What do you want me to do with all that you've trusted me with? Unfortunately, we, we oftentimes just want to give to God out of our leftovers. We will sacrifice other things in our life. We'll sacrifice for our kids or for our cars or for our mortgages, but not when it comes to giving to God. We then give him out of our leftovers. Listen, friends, if Jesus is truly first before all things in your life, then before we think about doing anything else in our life, shouldn't we ask God what he wants us to do? If we really are declaring him first, if we're really acknowledging that everything is his, my time, talent, my gifts, everything I have is God's, shouldn't we be asking him what he wants us to do with it? I've said it to you over and over again, but this initiative is about so much more than raising resources and advancing the mission. This, listen, this initiative is about declaring Jesus Christ first in my life. Guys, friends, look up here for just a minute. Generosity doesn't just fund the mission. It is the mission. It's what God's trying to do in our lives. He's trying to make us, we're trying to emulate Jesus. He's trying, to, he's trying to help us to become a generous people. You know, if someone, if someone came along and offered us a check for $77 million for this initiative, they said, you're trying to raise $77 million? I'm gonna write you a check for the entire amount. Which, by the way, in the day and age we live is entirely possible. And uh, if, if that happens to be you, I'd love to see you down front after the service. <laughs> But I'm just trying to tell you that even if it happened, we would still do this initiative. It would not stop us from moving forward with this initiative called FIRST. And you say, well, why? That doesn't make sense. If someone already put it in, why would we go forward with it? Because the gift would only represent one person. The gift would only represent one person or one household who had engaged in the initiative. And our number one priority is 100% engagement. We want everyone to be involved. Wherever you're at, if you call Northview home, we want you to be involved. I believe God wants to do something really bold and really big in this next season of our church as CJ comes in to be our next pastor. I really, really do. But in order for that to happen, it's gonna take us it's gonna take bold faith. It's gonna take everyone at Northview declaring that Jesus Christ is first in my life. Friends, for us to accomplish this mission, it's gonna take all of us sacrificially engaging with our generosity. Some of you might push back and say, Steve, I just gotta tell you, I've never been quite as bold as what you're talking about. And honestly, to do something like you're talking about, it scares me a little bit. Well, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that it scares you a little bit. In fact, I think that's a good thing. 
Because if it doesn't scare you just a bit, then is it really faith? I love what C.S. Lewis said about giving. He said this, he said, the only safe guideline I can give you for giving is to give in a way it scares you. Because only when it scares you do you know you are taking a risk. Do you know that you are trusting God? Guys, this card, it represents that one number that would truly indicate that Christ is first before all things. So as you take this card and you pray through it as a family or as an individual, I want you to pray specifically through each line. I want you to notice one particular line in here that I haven't talked much about. Uh, put that up. This one line down here that says gifts from my or our stored resources, which cash, savings, stocks, retirement, savings, personal property, et cetera. I want you to pray about that one specific line, and here's why. You see, God is not just asking us to give from our current or future income, but he might also be asking you to give from things he's blessed you with in the past. So here's an exercise I would challenge all of you to do. Think about five of the most expensive things that you own, and then simply ask, God, is there anything you want me to transfer from earthly investment to a heavenly investment? Is there something I have that could better reflect this as yours and not mine? What we've done, I think this is the fifth generosity initiative we've done in the 23 years that I've been here, and in the past, based on that one line right there, we've had people give, we've had two motorcycles given, we've had jewelry given, we've had a wine collection that was given, We've actually had three different people, get this, we've actually had three different people give us their homes. And then this year, I mean, we can actually accept cryptocurrency. It's a new world, isn't it? Guys, I'm just saying that if God lays something on your heart, then that's what you would put in that particular blank. For some of us, listen, for some of us, it's not our possessions or our spending, but it's our savings. Some of us are so concerned about retirement that we aren't about to invest into the kingdom of God. Listen, as your pastor, my prayer is that as you process your commitment, as you think about giving God your first and giving him your best, would you just really seek God about your response on this particular card? Friends, I hope you'll pray and ask him, what is it, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because I believe he'll show you. Sometimes people say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to give. I, I, don't, I don't have any idea. Well, have you prayed about it? Well, kind of. Because if you pray, God will tell you. So I hope that you will pray and ask him, what does he want you to do? I believe he'll show you. And I know some of you have been struggling. Some of you have already talked to me. Some of you have been struggling with this commitment for a while. Sandy and I struggled with it for a while. But we prayed, and God gave us the same figure, it was larger than anything we've ever done in the past, the biggest gift we've ever given before in our lives. But I absolutely believe, I'm not worried about it because I absolutely believe that God is faithful. I absolutely believe that God will honor our sacrifice just the way he has every single time in the past. So my hope and prayer is that everyone that calls Northview, their church will just pray. Hear from God and then just be obedient. And if you'll do that, I'm confident that you won't miss out on what he wants to do in your life. I cannot wait to see what God is gonna do as we declare him first.
before all things.